I got that kind of energy again, being like, hmm, I can like make my thing. You know, what do I want it to look like and talk like and seem like? And the social media side of it was super fun for me. But when I was moved to San Francisco for that job I mentioned earlier at Intel, this new role in the company, I was down in SF going, I can't be a baker here. You know, like there's world renowned pastry chefs and was just like, let's put it on the side for now focused on Intel rather, and got the great experience with like their philanthropic arm. And then I realized very quickly that like, not only was I not stopping my baking, but this like entrepreneurial itch to do something that was my own just does not go away. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're speaking with Kelsey Morera, founder and fearless leader of Dope, about addiction, entrepreneurship, and making it okay to eat cookie dough by the spoonful. I'm Kelsey. I'm the founder and fearless leader over at Dope Cookie Dough. We make edible and bakeable and ridiculously tasty cookie dough, ship it across the country and try to do some awesome stuff along the way. Started the company after getting sober. So we have a big focus on addiction recovery and mental health and trying to make the world a little sweeter, one spoonful at a time. (laughs) Nice. I love it. And I haven't had a chance to try the cookie dough yet, but I did send it to our admin for her birthday. And she just went gaga for it and was super excited. <laughs> this is selfless so. of you. I'm glad you, you shared it, <laughs> yeah. passed it along. We'll have to get you some. Yeah, shoot me your address after we'll, we'll make yeah. it happen. And I actually originally found out about your company as well through your Regrained partnership. Regrained is a client slash friend of ours as well. So I'm excited to see all those collaborations. I love it when good people to get together to do great things. Yeah. I mean, brand collaborations in general are just so fun. It's such a nice way to like work with another up and coming brand who's also doing really cool stuff. I really haven't ever met another food company that I couldn't come up with some partnership we could do in our product. Like with cookie dough, we can pretty much make any flavor. You know, I've made a nacho cheese cookie dough. Uh, We've used like someone's cold brew in a cookie dough to make a coffee one. And with Dan from Regrained, it was great to get this sort of like supercharged super grain that they have and use that in part instead of flour. And it boosted up our protein and fiber with the dough. And we made, I mean, it was just a delicious, it's actually my favorite cookie dough flavor. It's a brownie flavor that's like so moist and amazing and it bakes like the best cookies. So big fan of Regrained and just partnerships are such a blast. Cookie dough, brownie dough, all that mixed together. I mean, how can can you lose? (laughs) Yeah, you just can't go wrong. It's easy stuff. Yeah. So, we'll talk a little bit more about the inspiration behind dope and everything. But first, when looking up your background, I was curious or interested to see that you started off in business and then went to tech before and started dipping into some social impact stuff before starting a CPG company. So, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your, what drove you to study business and how you ended up in tech? Sure. Yeah. Pre-dope life. If I think way back, it's crazy. It's been four and a half years since I started the company. But prior to that, as you mentioned, doing, doing something totally different. I started at Intel when I was just 16 years old. Through my childhood years, you know, even pre-16, I had always had this like weird fascination with marketing. Like I was like eight years old dissecting commercials, being like, hmm, I wonder like what audience they're going after. Like, why are they playing this commercial like at this time on this channel? And not knowing like what I was really doing, but curious that it was like, 
spiking my interest at this like little kid's age. My parents were like, just watch the show. Like, let's please stop, you know, <laughs> please stop talking about the commercials. Probably like recorded on VHS or TiVo or something back then. But yeah, just always like weirdly interested in marketing. And I got this chance to work at Intel. It was a high school internship. Uh, Should have just been over that summer and in a marketing department, product marketing. So not really the fluffy, like let's make commercial side. Like I maybe thought I was interested interested in, but getting into like, how do we show like all these user benefits and, and get across case studies and return on investment studies for business products from Intel in a product marketing capacity. So loved that first summer, like threw myself into it and got asked if I would stay on part-time through the school years. And so it turned into a 10-year career, which in the personal life was like very challenging to balance because I I wanted to like be this, you know, kid. I was still a child. Like, you know, I'm still in high school and wanted to fit in and be with the cool kids. But I'm like leaving school at 10, 30, 11 in the morning to go work with people that were 20, 30 years my senior and just had this like st- I felt like I was like multi-personality, you know, through all of that. And yeah, really ended up leaning on alcohol to try and sort of fit in and like find my way there and relieve some of the stress, this like intensity I'd always had to be super all on, to be perfect all the time, make everyone else proud. Like it was exhausting. And yeah, and I leaned on alcohol to deal with that. But this idea about impact, I kind of got in my last role at Intel, uh, got a chance to take a step from product marketing into the more philanthropic arm of Intel just after getting sober in 2015, which was like the best decision ever and led into that opportunity to move to San Francisco, new job at Intel and figuring out, you know, who Kelsey was, but at work, seeing this awesome side of a company that was like, hey, we can make a ton of money, but also like they're dedicating, you know, an entire team to fighting online harassment. In that case, I was working on a program to fight online harassment with machine learning and like really, really cool to see that dedication of a company to to doing good. So I've taken a lot of that with me. Yeah, that's exciting. Because often I think when you work in tech, you're just helping rich people get richer and make tools that maybe nobody needs, but they're going to get addicted to. <laughs> and you get well compensated, but maybe you don't feel good about what you're doing at the end of the day. However, when... It's too real. Some people listening to that are like, oh, yeah, yes, that's hurts. me. That's a you personal too can attack. make a change. Yeah. But being able <laughs> exactly. to use those platforms that reach to do something good is amazing. So I'm glad you were there to kind of help spearhead something like that. But one thing that struck me that you just said is you were using alcohol to kind of fit in or to help with some of your mental health of all the stress, anxiety or whatever of balancing so much. But when you say using the alcohol to fit in, did you mean more with the professional crowd that you were working in at Intel or the high school crowd that you were, you know, trying to fit into, even though you were obviously more mature and working on your career at the same time? Initially meant the latter, but it's a great point that it also sort of proliferated in the professional environment when you think about conferences and, you know, the conventions you go to and what that environment is like. And it's in fact, where I got sober finally was a business trip. Those were always the worst for me. I was always like, you know, there's like no holds bar. Everyone else is like ready to go crazy. They're away from their families. And then for me, I was away from everybody who knew I had a problem with alcohol. You know, you're like really tight knit circle, the family members, my boyfriend at the time, you know, they knew there was a problem. And so a business trip was like, Phew, you know, I could just be with other people who want to have fun. Like, let's just do it and let loose. And that last hurrah, September 14th, 2015, was the first day of a seven-day business trip in Barcelona. Yeah, I came to at like 3.30 in the morning, had started drinking at like 10.30. I arrived a day early thinking like, oh, I'll get settled and, you know, just wound up 
drinking like crazy. And I was just so clear that next morning that I never wanted to feel like this again. I was so, so tired of letting alcohol hold me back. And I found an English speaking AA meeting that morning in Barcelona and it'll be six years this September. Wow. Yeah. That's, I've heard in kind of behavior design that you often don't do something you think you should do. (laughs) You know, maybe you'll get little starts along the way, but you won't really commit to it until you've decided it's a must, something you must do. So it sounds like that that waking up that morning was finally the tipping point that turned it into a must for you. Had you thought about getting sober before that though? Was it a should in, in the back of your mind? A hundred percent. And so many have a similar journey. You know, it's like, I look at it like you're like this really hard, big iceberg and you just need like slowly people are coming up with acts like picks being like, this is not working, you know, and like this. And then another night happens like this is not working. And then another big thing happens and just all these like disappointments and letdowns and internal disappointment and shame and the outcomes of, of what would happen when I was drinking, like just continually were like, oh, I just wish it could be different. And I went through all the little molds of like, how can I still fit alcohol in my life? Like, maybe I'll just drink wine. I'll only have beer on Tuesdays. You know, I was like, whatever could I do to like fit this in and, and make it work? I tried to get sober for a reset at 21. And you know, if you're 21 trying to get sober, there's probably something wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I thought if I just go go four months without drinking, I'll be good. I'll be able to like balance it again. And within three weeks of starting to drink, I was blacking out again and still drinking to excess when I would go out. Just alcohol was not working with my body. And yeah, like you said, that one final time was like, it's a must. I must. I said to myself, like, if I want to have a positive relationship with anyone else and myself included, I need to stop drinking like full on. Yeah. It's amazing that you got to that point relatively early in life. Like you mentioned, like quitting at 21 means that something was going wrong there because I feel like a lot of alcoholics continue on into their 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, and it eventually maybe kills them sadly. But but you were able to catch it in time and, and put your foot down and make a hard decision, which is amazing. And like actively thinking about that too. I remember thinking, do I want to wait until I have kids and I get pulled over driving them drunk one day or something, you know, like having a little bit of alcohol in my system and driving home or have to pick them up after I went to a happy hour with friends and just knowing this capacity I had for no matter what else was coming or whatever else was going to happen. Like I had a really hard time turning it off once I started to drink or in a, you know, hangout party environment. I just always wanted, wanted to keep going and have more once it started. And it just wasn't worth the risk of like, what's that going to be like when you've got kids and a, a, you know, a husband, a family to provide for and support. What a liability, you know? So I stopped, stopped digging to find my rock bottom and said, let's, let's go here. <laughs> what do we call it? We don't need to get further down. I think this is rock bottom enough. That makes sense. And then I know that getting sober or your kind of struggle with alcohol was part of the inspiration behind launching dope. But tell us a little bit more about how that journey went from that moment you woke up and decided this is enough. I'm going to make some changes to leaving tech and launching dope. Yeah. It was a relatively fast period of time because I did start dope in spring of 2017. So it's kind of wild how much happened in that that time period. But it really kicks off from that exact day of like self-exploration. Like who is Kelsey? What hobbies does she have? Like what does she like to do? You know, I really felt like I was so 
bland outside of like, yeah, I had this cool career and I had all these things like looked okay and I'd got great grades, but like, who was I? I had no like personality outside of just my accomplishments in professional life. And I really got to dive back in and figure out what I love to do. And from my very young years, I always had such a sweet tooth. And my nickname is Monster Baby with my family for being such a messy eater. And I'm even like a messier baker. So like, you know, Kelsey was in the kitchen and like shit is about to taste great if it's like a huge mess and there's powdered sugar on the ceiling. Like, it's good. So I really got back into the kitchen when I got sober. I was like nights and weekends from Intel. You know, you're kind of like, you're trying to find a new friend group even. You got you had a lot of drinking buddies. Now it's a whole new world. It was like I had a lot of free time on my hands when I wasn't, you know, wasn't at the office and so I started baking and bringing some of those baked goods into the office and slowly but surely you have enough people who are like hey, this is awesome. Like, could you make a cake for my kid's birthday next weekend? Or these cupcakes were so great. Could I get them for a party? And so I got a little inkling of like, entrepreneurship could be a thing. Like maybe I could have my own thing and sell desserts. And I gave my hand at that and started Monster Baby Bakery two months after getting sober. Yeah. And you know, I bet people thought that name was so weird, by the way, without the explanation of what Monster Baby was, my nickname. Yeah, it was catchy. So maybe it stuck, but MBB was happening and I was doing lots of like just local delivery. I had an online site for it and I loved like building a website and building business cards and like just all that really got me super excited about the idea of having something that was my own. Almost reminded me like when I was 12 years old, I made these little like paper pamphlets and business cards that said why I'd be the best babysitter in the neighborhood. And I had gone around like handing them out door to door, like a babysitting saleswoman, you know, trying to pitch my, shoot my shot at the neighborhood. And so I got that kind of energy again, being like, hmm, I can like make my thing. You know, what do I want it to look like and talk like and seem like? And the social media side of it was super fun for me. But when I was moved to San Francisco for that job I mentioned earlier at Intel, this new role in the company, I was down in SF going, I can't be a baker here. You know, like there's world renowned pastry chefs and was just like, let's put it on the side for now focused on Intel rather, and got the great experience with like their philanthropic arm. And then I realized very quickly that like, not only was I not stopping my baking, but this like entrepreneurial itch to do something that was my own, this does not go away. There's so much excitement when you're building something that's yours. And I always felt like a little bit too fast for the pace of corporate America, you know, and this chance that like this project you've been working on for a year just gets pulled because the budget's getting moved. And for someone who pours their, themselves into anything they do, corporate America can be like a total, you know what, for your real like heart and soul pains. But yeah, I got this idea for dope in SF, still baking on the side for myself. And I started trying my hand at veganism, but I loved butter way too much. So I was a part-time vegan. I highly recommend it. I just didn't have eggs on hand very often. And so I would make my cookie recipes, you know, with no eggs using this egg substitute, but still using butter. And then I have this like light bulb that goes off thinking like, man, I've always snuck a bite or whatever of cookie dough as I've been baking. But now like, I'm just going to save a bowl in the fridge. And then, you know, I'll bake a few cookies and like, this is the best of both worlds. And like everybody loves cookie dough. And there'd been kind of an uptick in, I would say like Pinterest activity of like different cookie dough recipes, like people trying to make like cookie dough cupcakes or cookie dough cheesecake. And you know, cookie dough ice cream has been so popular for so long. And I'm just thinking like, why can't we just get cookie dough then? Cause I, I have it here. I could sell this, like this could be my thing. And that was the real start of it to say like, I got to do it. I'm going to go pursue this and, and try to make a business. That's awesome. Yeah, the sneaking bites of cookie dough is a somewhat common thing. And that's why I got my admin the cookie dough, your dope cookie dough for her birthday is because she was exactly the same way, like growing up, always sneaking bites 
of cookie dough and running off with it as much as possible. So we would always do exactly that same thing. Like if we were ever making cookies or whatever, there would be a bowl that just stays dough and then some that gets turned into cookies. Like someone takes the mixing bowl and starts walking towards the sink. You're like, no, like I'll <laughs> yeah. scrape the bowl. Please let me eat it. Like, let me lick the the paddle and stuff. So we're all about that. Or even going into the store and buying like a roll of, I don't know, Pillsbury or something, cookie dough and just like just eating the back. whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Gnawing on it. <laughs> so it's brilliant that you decided to, to focus on that. And I know that you uh, advertise both like you can eat it straight or bake it. So which do you feel like is better? Ooh, you know... I'm going to drop it right in the middle. I feel like half baking it is the best option that has ever existed. Since you don't have to fully bake it, there's no raw eggs. I literally scoop out a little bit into a microwave safe bowl, pop it in the microwave for like 10 to 15 seconds, add a little ice cream, and you have this like half baked sundae. That's really good. Everyone's drooling now. (laughs) Is the no eggs kind of a trade secret or is that something shareable that you're putting in there instead of eggs? Yeah, we do share it. It's an ingredient as a food product. We got to share it. Some people do have allergies to certain things, but we don't use, there's some companies using like pasteurized eggs, but we really, there are no eggs in ours at all. We use a flaxseed substitute. So a way to make flaxseed mimic the texture of a, a whisked egg. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It makes a great sub. Can't taste it. Can't see it. It's great. Good stuff. I grew up allergic to eggs. And so I avoid them still to this day just because I've got all these bad memories. So I've almost always, any time I bake, I'm always using like an egg replacer, even though I could put the eggs in there, you know, because I'm not allergic anymore. But it just feels like it's it's haunting me. So I'm like, you know, I'm (laughs) just going to lean on substitutes whenever I can. So it's always fun to hear what other substitutes there are. That's exciting. So you launched Dope and then I don't know where in the launch phase or how how long you'd had the company, but you ended up on Shark Tank, (laughs) which I've got a few other friends that have launched their business on Shark Tank. So I'd love to hear about your experience. Like what made you decide to pitch to be on there? And then what was the experience like and what outcomes came from it? Yeah. So, and getting onto it, we filmed in September of 2018. So I was like a year and a half into the business or so. We had our store on Pier 39 and I was going on to raise for funds to open up the store in Las Vegas, both of which since we have closed and are fully online, which is a whole nother story to get into about how the e-commerce side of things grew. But our storefronts at the time, yeah, having Pier and looking for funds for the Vegas store. I don't know anybody in show business, (laughs) so didn't get like a magic carpet to get on to Shark Tank. I full on like sat on a curb in San Francisco for an open casting call, had my dope samples and just like went to, you know, pitch and say why I'd be like the best entrepreneur for the show. I think I had a 90 second pitch for the audition and yeah, it went great. Like after 90 seconds had passed, they're like still eating the dough and like calling over other people to like come and eat it. So I was like, okay, this feels good, but it was a full six months from the audition to actually filming. So lots of like video submissions and rounds in that regard that I didn't even realize was going to be part of it when I started the, the ordeal. But I'm super glad that I went to try out and I think it turned out I was the only person from the whole casting call that actually made it on that season, which is always kind of wild when you just think back to being in that room and it's like you were like the one that actually made it. It's like some crazy percent chance, like 40,000 people apply each season and then there's like 140 uh, or so that'll make it on a season. So pretty wild that, that we got picked against other cookie dough companies too. There were other cookie dough companies that had tried out that season, but Dope's doing something different. So super fun to get to go. The film date was like right, I think it was the day before or the day after my 
three-year sobriety anniversary. And so it was a nice little nod from the universe being like, keep going. You know, like you're on something good. I was so excited that that lined up. Like the timing was really crazy to me. Was in there for an hour and 12 minutes, hour and 15 minutes, which is nuts because you see eight minutes live and a great experience. I had done flashcards for all my business numbers. I had been practicing my pitch through and through. I was saying it in my sleep, like actively dreaming about it. So I was really prepared for the filming and super proud of like how the presentation went. But conversation ended up going around that like cookie dough is not healthy for you. And like with the obesity epidemic and I was like, but it's dessert, you know, like it's cookie dough. Of course, I just didn't think the conversation about a dessert company was going to be frankly, like that it's dessert and that it's not a health food. Like we are unashamed to just be a delicious, indulgent, awesome cookie dough. And like, that's what it is. So that was pretty funny. The sharks ended up being out and I got another investor two months later and then aired four or five months after filming. So I'd already got an investment. We had already opened up that store in Vegas and then it aired in May of 2019. It re-airs every month and a half or so. So it's a nice extra pickup of new customers and just a good badge of honor for a brand to say like, you know, we were on there. Yeah. And who knows one day Cuban's going to call me and be like, I made a mistake. I changed my mind. I love cookie dough. Let's do this. So yeah, we just joined his ranks. We made it in the Inc. 5000 list and we're in the top, you know, 500. I think when he was on it originally, it was the Inc. 500. We were number 274. So I'm uh, I'm nudging my way to get that news in front of him. So he sees we're, we're doing big things since we last spoke. That's awesome. Yeah. From other people that have been on the show, I know that even if they get investment, sometimes it's like a small initial investment or whatever. And the, the sharks are pretty busy people and they've got lots of investments. So it's hard to get some of their attention. So it really is like more about consumer awareness, like just getting your name out there. Tons of people are watching that show and and driving traffic to your store or your website or whatever. That's cool. So, so you had that one location or where that you said there was two locations, like physical locations. Yeah, I had a location in San Francisco on Pier 39, famous like tourist pier out there. And then on the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah, in Las Vegas, Nevada. And what made you decide? Obviously, I think you started it in San Francisco. So what made you decide to open up the Vegas? Actually, the workaround Dope for Hope was a big push for us to go there, which sounds funny. But I thought if I'm going to try and talk about mental health and addiction recovery, where better to share the story than Sin City itself and get that message like out to people who were who were on the strip. And it was a beautiful store. We did like a little do-it-yourself bar where you could create your perfect flavor, our blonde cookie dough, plus all these different toppings and sauces. And we'd mix it on site for you. Kind of like cold stone of cookie dough, if you will. So it was a blast, beautiful shop and a great like way to get across our mission. We had a little booth where people could vote where the proceeds from the Dope for Hope flavor would be donated to and like a nice way to kind of integrate it. But we have an even more, yeah, I think like stronger presence getting across the mission and purpose in our e-commerce business, which has taken over and many times eclipsed what we were able to do in the storefronts. Nice. Yeah. What I love about what you're building is not only do you have an interesting founding story, like why you started the company in the background with your love of cookie dough and whatnot, but you also take it a step further and you do something about why you started the company and you have things like Dope for Hope going and your social media feed is scattered with different mental health awareness tips or call-outs. Do you feel like that's part of your success so far is just being mission forward like that and, and really throwing it out there like Dave's Killer Bread or something like that and say, hey, <laughs> crap happens in life, but you can pick yourself up and do something about it and help make other people's lives better too? hundred percent. It's what keeps me going. So even on like a personal, if I selfish for a moment, like, wow, it feels 
really good to be doing something for good. So the hard days you think literally about like the individual lives you're impacting and being so loud about these topics. Like we have literally gotten emails from people saying, I want to get sober. Who should I reach out to, you know, and is she recovers the right group to contact the foundation that we are supporting right now. So yeah, it's like really cool to just say like, we have a chance to literally, even if it's one person, you know how this goes, right? Even if it's one person's life that we touched and impacted, like absolutely worth it. So it's great for that. And then I think it's been amazing for the growth of the brand to have something more to talk about, you know, that like, if you feel passionate about these issues or you're affected by them, and one in five Americans are, are suffering from mental illness, you've got even more that are not admitting to it, diagnosed or reached out for help. You know, we don't really get to this like six degrees of separation anymore. It's like you or someone you know has probably had personal struggles with mental health or addiction recovery and finding a company that not only has come through this journey, which is one day at a time, a journey for me every day, but the company trying to support that, it's like, that's something you want to get behind. That's something you want to tell your friends and family about. So I do think it's an opportunity to like really build a community that cares about the brand and wants to share it loud and proud, you know, like they're part of the dope family and like, we're all here supporting it, trying to make it grow and trying to make it have a bigger impact. Yeah. And that I feel like that one in six people will struggle with some sort of mental health is probably even undershooting because I feel like that's one in six people know they're struggling with some sort of mental health and the other five will discover it eventually because we're all probably dealing with something somewhere in our past or in our, our present that that's hard to overcome. And the fact that we you know, for the longest time, put mental health as this weird stigma, whereas physical health or exercising or, you know, whatever was commonplace and okay to talk about, not just talk about, but post all your pictures of all the runs you just did on your social media, but it's not okay to talk about mental health and maybe what you're doing to strengthen it or, you know, sometimes when you break down. So, I love that you're helping Make It Okay, I think is another org that I hear about a lot through some different podcasts where it's trying to make it okay to talk about things like depression. I know you support the She Recovers Foundation. So tell us a little bit more about that partnership, why you chose them and what they do. Yeah. So they're kind of that pillar of our Dope for Hope initiative that's really about nonprofits that are working in the space. We do have the other pillar for our employees, like the robust mental health policy. How can we let our employees like bring their full selves to work? And then one that you mentioned earlier with like our social feed and email, always really trying to focus on how we can keep this conversation elevated and part of everything that we do to support making it more okay to talk about what's really going on in our lives and recognizing that you're not alone in what you're going through. So this nonprofit component is 1% of all of our sales donated to a nonprofit that works in the space. And uh, we're supporting She Recovers Foundation for 2021. They support women that are in or seeking recovery from mental health challenges, life challenges, and substance use disorder. So very close to my heart. It's a great like supportive network of amazing women and started by a mother and daughter who are in recovery. They're just awesome humans. And I, I love helping to support what they're doing. They've been really nimble through the pandemic and have, I think it's like twice daily recovery coach led meetings and tons of different subsets. Even through Pride Month, we were able to help with additional donations, 10% of sales from a flavor we had made with an influencer from the LGBTQIA community. They started a specific She Recovers group just for them. So yeah, they're really trying to give tailored community support for women that are going through much of the same things. Glad you were able to find that partnership and help each other push forward in your missions. And you also mentioned that the 
e-commerce store is an even better place to tell your story than the retail locations and that you've shut those down possibly because of COVID, but possibly because online e-commerce was taking off. So tell us a little bit about that transition, what it was like to shut the stores down and and grow the e-commerce. Yeah. Uh, the story starts pre-pandemic, shockingly, but in late 2019, we had our store in Pier 39. We had chosen to close in August of that year. Rising cost of business in SF, not pandemic related because it hadn't come yet, but just saying, you know, we have this flagship store in Vegas and we were really struggling with the costs of labor and things in San Francisco. So we closed that and said, you know, what's going to be the other channel so that we're not so reliant on just the brick and mortar storefront? What else should we focus on? And this is the time when my husband joined the company. He's co-CEO with me today. And he was, he's very like ops and finance brain. I'm very marketing and sales, like dream vision stuff. And he's like, hello, reality, and like brings me down. So we're a great yin and yang. And these conversations in that fall of 2019, you know, we're talking about what this other channel should be and looking at all the numbers, like he said, e-commerce is going to be what we should double down on. So we got all of our gears in motion, like getting ads started, building a new site on Shopify, like really getting ourselves ramped up to do that. And we went from selling 30 boxes a month in November to 3000 boxes a week in April of 2020. Absolute insane glow up. We were not sleeping for like three months straight during those last months when it was just like at such a rapid rise and ended up moving to a fulfillment center in Copacker through the summer of 2020 when the storefronts were, storefront rather, the singular one there in Vegas, it was forced to close for the quarantine, like full shutdown. And then when it reopened, it was down 82% year over year. So we're looking at this going like, my gosh, you know, we're going to hit 2.5 million we wound up doing in 2020 online versus $50,000 online in 2019, while the storefront is like, you know, sucking all of our operational capacity, sort of a distraction almost at that point, and just didn't make sense to, to keep it going and yeah, focus on what growth was going to be possible for the business online. And now the new channel of, you know, still wanting to diversify and not be reliant on one channel started focusing on retail. And we have our first launch in grocery next month. Ooh, exciting. Is that a grocery channel you can share yet? Or is that TBD? You'll announce it soon. No, I can share. I can share. You can get the sneak preview. So at Harmon's, this is in Utah. There's 19 stores through Utah. A great account for people in the CPG world because they are an anchor store for UNFI, big distributor you're going to need to be in for some of the other accounts. And then we have a much crazier wild name to share for Q4, but that one's still, I got to keep it hush hush for now. So announcements to come about where else you'll be able to find dope, but I'm really excited. That's exciting. Dope online or in a convenience store, not convenience store, but a store convenient to you. There too. You never know. <laughs> yeah, that would be. We're working on that yeah, too. It could be a good channel. I know some of our better, better nutrition or better for the world brands like convenience stores have such garbage food most of the time you can maybe at most get a cliff bar or something like that so so i do think better brands should be pitching that market too and and who doesn't want a, a tub of cookie dough while you're on a road trip or something yeah. You know, some of the convenience stores are getting on board with that too. We're talking to 7-Eleven right now and they have a whole program called Brands with Heart and are trying to look at kind of these more mission-led focused brands. So they've got an eye on it as well, but I'm certainly trying to be proactive. <laughs> so I haven't done the math, but how many years is it? Like roughly five years-ish that you've been in CPG now? Yeah, it's four and a half years. What kind of lessons learned can you share with others kind of that look to be in your shoes in the future about dipping into the CPG world? 
Yeah, I do have some pro tips happy to share from this this journey because it's like I kind of say every six months feels like an MBA. It's like you're always learning something new. It's like full deep dive into some new area like you're learning fundraising, you're learning the new channels you're launching in. It's just it's always always something to soak up. But a couple of takeaways are hire for what you suck at. That's been one of the big learnings. I could do everything, but I don't have time to do everything. So I quickly had to assess like, where are the areas that are my zone of genius? Like, where do I just feel absolutely lit up and time is flying while I'm doing it and do more of that. And for any of the tasks that someone else could take over, try to hire. And there's so many flexible options out there now with like freelancers and consultants and lots of support to get it done on even a scrappy budget and make the most of your time so you can keep growing the business. Another one is never say no to an introduction. I've gotten the craziest things from people who are like, oh, you should meet so-and-so. And I'm thinking, I don't know. You know, you, sometimes you get that gut where you're like, what would I possibly do with them? Just like take the introduction. You just never know, or it'll circle back like a year later. And they're like, oh, I just met someone who's, you know, a buyer at XYZ, they should meet you. So really growing your network is just so important, particularly as I was jumping from like life in the corporate tech world to now I'm in food. Like I didn't know anybody in food. So I really had to just live off these intro worlds of like, you got to get yourself in the network. Another big one is do this for more than yourself. Try and be a good human with what you're building. And I think it's poignant to the kind of stuff you're trying to highlight here in this podcast with brands that just mean more. It's cool to make money. And that's definitely part of the game. Like you want to have a profitable business and all of this, but what if you could have a positive impact along the way? You know, it's not, there's one final outcome and it was successful or not. It's like this entire journey is having an impact on the world. And like that's success whatever this winds up looking like, like at least I feel good about what I did every day of the process through. So those are some quick ones, but learned a lot. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Those are good lessons. I was going to ask about what the future looks like for Dope, but you've already kind of planted some seeds there, moving more into retail and whatnot. So I'm going to shift and say, since Dope focuses a lot on mental health awareness, what do you do as a busy entrepreneur scaling this rapidly growing company that I guess is always in recovery, I guess is what they say for getting sober, right? What do you do for your own mental health? How do you make sure that you're staying focused and energized and balanced and all those things that we need to be able to keep moving forward day to day? It's like a hugely important conversation because entrepreneurs are like no other, you know, we're a different breed. It's you could literally work around the clock if you wanted to, and your work will never be done. There's always something else to do because you're at the helm of how big it's going to grow and how fast it's going to be. So I think one of the big takeaways that's changed my mental health, and it is, it's always like a process. It's never perfect. But one, I'm a little softer on myself with how many things I'm doing that are good for my mental health. Cause I, I know I sort of call it like my mental health recipe card. I know what ingredients I need to have on there to stay grounded, to stay balanced. And you know, there's five or six, right? It's like meditation, yoga, working out, seeing my therapist, calling my mom, writing in my journal, those types of things. If I'm not doing all of them, I used to be so hard on myself that like, I just had failed and, and I would just give up, you know, and then it's the next week. Now you're just in the grind. You're not taking care of yourself at all. You sort of feel like you dropped the ball and so you should just give up. So I try to be softer with like, can I get two of the five or can I get some of these and feel like, what could I do next week to try and get one more? You know, so it's this incremental softness with yourself. Another big thing has been on 
vacation. So as the company has grown, being able to have like a director of marketing, a director of operations now, there are people who could help make a strategic decision in the event of some fire or nightmare. And so I was really able this year to take like my first full vacation and actually completely disconnect and that chance to set the stage for the employees to say, when you take a vacation, you actually take a vacation. Like didn't respond to one Slack, didn't respond to one email, didn't take one phone call. And that spoke wonders, you know, to show that like you really do get to reset when you leave. And I came back feeling so recharged. I mean, the four years preceding, I can't tell you how many vacations I canceled or how many Christmases I've been in the corner dealing with some emergency on my phone. And it was 24-7 dope chaos in my life, you know, for the better part of those four years. So this year has been a big focus for me on how do I walk the walk and talk the talk that, you know, all of it has to come full circle for me personally as well. And it's a rewarding battle, but it's it's a battle. And it's always, you know, a day, one day at a time, like my own personal recovery. And I know for me, it's kind of similar in that, you know, I have my five ingredients for healthier and mentally stable life, but exactly like what you were saying, busy weeks get out of control. You're not sleeping. You got so many meetings and deadlines and whatever else you got to do. So I often end up only getting one or two of those in some weeks. And then you start beating yourself up about not doing the others. But I love what you talked about just having a little bit of self-love and compassion and knowing that it's not about being perfect. It's about making progress, right? And one quote that I like is uh, 90% still an A, you know, in this particular case, 20% is still <laughs> still good effort, but even 90% yeah, still an A. So still try. don't aim for perfection, just aim for progress. I love that. I love it. I have like an actionable tip here that's helped me a ton with at least getting some time for reading in the evenings and some meditation, even if it's a short, short bit. There's this light clock that I have next to my bed that's called the Hatch Restore. It's amazing. It has like a wind down routine that has a 15 minute reading light, transitions into a 10 minute meditation and then turns on white noise for the evening till my alarm goes off in the morning, which has a nice like sunrise light portion, starts a small meditation and then I'm up to start my day. So it's like even these little things where you may be like, oh, I didn't have time to read today or like there wasn't time to do a meditation before bed. Like what if it was part of the wind down of being in bed, you know, and that's helped me fit it in a lot more than I was able to before. So I'm not getting paid by them. I just really like it. And it's been super yeah. helpful. Well, we're not getting paid by them, but we'll try to make sure we include a link in the show notes. So check there. Another similar resource I would share is a book called Tiny Habits by Dr. BJ Fogg out of, out of Stanford. He studies behavior design. And he wrote a book called Tiny Habits that just helps people start small <laughs> to create more healthy or more desirable behaviors in their life or to end less desirable behaviors. And it's all based on behavioral psychology and lots of experiments and so on and so forth. So it's a good practical how-to book. So if anyone's out there trying to figure out how to get themselves to do something <laughs> that they've been struggling to do, I would recommend that book. And you also mentioned briefly the being in your zone of genius, which I'm guessing you might have also gotten that from The Big Leap, which is a book kind of about not focusing on all the things you could be doing, but focus on the things that you're meant to be doing where you uniquely shine and then delegate the rest of it. So we'll share some links to those as well. And then of course, I know you also have your own podcast. So give us a quick pitch for that and we'll share some links in the show notes for that too. 
Sure. Super fun, like combo of my life, which is talking about cookie dough, mental health and addiction recovery. I started the podcast Soberpreneur and we just released season two starting. So episodes every other week and it's raw conversations with people who have overcome obstacles in their life and what they've gone on to create. So we've got some entrepreneurs, some just like movers, shakers and badasses doing their thing. So it's, it's really fun. Some amazing conversations and people who just blow my mind, but uh, lots of shared experiences and learnings, this goal that like when you listen to it, there's something that resonates that's, that that you connect with and uh, leave a little bit more inspired to go make the world a better place. That's awesome. You're doing so many things. I can understand why why it becomes chaos at some points. And I, I totally agree with you that like every six months is an MBA or something when you're running a business or in your case, probably multiple things between your podcasts, your dope company and then also a bunch of other stuff you're probably working on. But I appreciate what you're doing and and the fact that you are kind of leading with your mission and taking your own life experiences, learning lessons from them and then trying to make other people's lives better. That's super inspiring and I've heard great things about the product. I'm going to get some for myself in the yeah. near future and, and try it for myself. <laughs> that seals the deal. <laughs> but great product, you know, great brand, great mission. So Keep doing what you're doing. I love it. And thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to share your story with us. Thanks for the opportunity. It was awesome. Great to meet you. And have a dope day, everybody. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Kelsey or her company, go to dope.com. That's dough as in cookie dough with a P at the end. Business can be a powerful force for good. Is your brand living up to its full potential? Go to EvolveCPG.com to learn about our new impact workshop, Exponential Good. Over six weeks, we'll be thinking bigger, getting relevant, spreading throughout, going exponential, working backwards, and making it real so you can walk away with a clear vision and a detailed action plan for scaling your brand's positive impact exponentially. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com.